0: you have your Bibles with you, if you could open them up to Proverbs, we're in a series going through Proverbs, Living Wisely in a Foolish World, and uh, I want to remind you that if you want to contribute to where we're going to go in this preaching series in Proverbs, you can get online, there's a, uh, a, a submission form that if you have a passage in Proverbs that you've always wanted to hear um, a deeper explanation on, uh, maybe one that it's your favorite passage like today's is going to be for many of you. Um, this, is your, this is your way to get on there and to be able to um, kind of dictate, determine, and influence the direction that we're going in this series. So some of you um, heard, I'm sure all of you heard Pastor Matthew referred to Ken Christensen as a jerk. I want to tell you what immediately went through my mind when he said that. This was the mid '70s, and I was like in a stage where I would call my sister Becky a jerk all the time, and she would say to me with utmost sincerity, "A jerk is a tug, a tug is a boat, a boat goes on water. Water is nature. Thanks for the, and nature is beautiful. Thanks for the compliment." So, Ken, you are beautiful. Pastor Matthew was saying that with utmost sincerity, and I just want to let you know you are. Um, I'm going to stop there before I get in trouble. John Wesley, if, you've, if you're familiar with John Wesley, what a storied history he has and a contribution to the church. He was a 32-year-old single missionary when he met Sophia Hopke. She was pretty, she was intelligent, and Wesley fell in love with her. But he belonged to the Holy Club. And one of the ideals of the Holy Club was that their members should always remain single. So was it the will of God for John to marry Sophie or not? So his friend Charles Delamont wrote on one piece of paper, "marry," on a second piece of paper, think not of it this year, and on a third slip of paper, think of it no more. Put it into a container, closed his eyes, prayed over it, drew it out, drew one slip of paper out, and it read, Think of it no more. And Wesley was heartbroken, but he took the result to be the will of God. He shortly returned to England. He was he had been in Savannah, Georgia. He returns to England, now serving as an evangelist, and soon fell in love with Grace Murray. This time, he listed seven factors that he desired in a wife and concluded that he was to marry her, that God wanted him to marry her. But his brother Charles Wesley so disagreed, now get this, he galloped his horse urgently to Grace Murray's home. She came to the door, he fell on his knees before her and said, Grace Murray, you have broken my heart, and he fell over and fainted at her feet. She was so bothered by that that she went out and married another man. And finally, a year and a half later, at the age of 47, John Wesley did marry Mary Vazil, but he had a very unhappy marriage. Twenty years later, she left him. And when she did, John Wesley wrote, and we've got his words in his diary, I have not left her, he said, I will not send her away, I will not recall her. Listen, have you ever been to a crossroad in life where it can go in more than one direction and struggled to understand and know the will of God? You ever been there? See, wisdom wants to teach us... Now, you got to listen to this. This is the premise of the entire message. It wants to teach us, wisdom does, how to live skillfully... How to live skillfully when life can be such a confusing maze. Who do you marry? What career path do you take? What investment should you make? What medical uh, treatment to take when you get that diagnosis? Christian brother and sister, listen, I want you to know this. God wants His children to know His will. Did you hear that? God wants you, if you are His child, He wants you to know His will. You don't need to flip a coin to make godly decisions. You don't need to open the Bible at random like a horoscope or crack it open like a fortune cookie to find that magical verse to know what to do. He delights in us knowing His will and He gives us the ability to understand it and live it skillfully. It's called wisdom. So Solomon begins to teach his son. Now you've got your Bibles open, right? Proverbs chapter 3, we're about to dig in. Solomon is going to teach his son how to know God's will at the crossroads. How to have peace at the crossroads when there's more than one path that you could take. And he begins in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace that will add to you. Now listen, we're going to get to verse 5, and I want you to see that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We're going to get there, but you've got to start at verse 1. You've got to keep it within context. And what we're going to see to begin with, the point number 1, and I'm just simply, literally extracting the outline from the Bible. Look at what it says. Let your heart keep my commandments. That's point number one. Listen, if you want wisdom, if you want skillful living at the crossroads, it begins here. Your heart keeping God's commandments. I'm going to unpack that for you. We're invited. Isn't this cool? We're invited into Solomon's parenting. I mean, you could just be like sitting In the living room, while Solomon is looking at his young son and teaching him how to live life skillfully. You get to listen to it. You get to observe. You get to incorporate this into your own teaching, your own parenting, your own discipling of somebody that might be younger in the faith than you. We get to be invited into Solomon's parenting. My son, do not forget my teaching. Now, we gloss over that. We want to get to the juicy part, verse 5. But you can't get to the good part until you get to the foundation. You get through the foundation. My son, do not forget. In other words, son, you've got to hold on. You've got to hold on to my teaching. Now, listen, here's what it means. You've got to put it into the very center of your mind and refuse to let go. Don't let time pass and this thing get to the periphery. Keep my teaching right in the center. Now, you've got to remember this. Ready? Ready? Solomon is a type of Jesus. He's a representative of Jesus. Besides Jesus, Solomon's the most wise person that's ever walked on this planet. He moves you to the wisdom sent from God, who is Jesus. So when you see Solomon in his inspired writings, what you're seeing is a man who represents Jesus. So Jesus is saying to you, Christian, Jesus is saying to me, don't forget my teachings. But how do you not forget? How do you hold them into the center of your mind? Well, the answer is in verse 1. Here's how Scripture answers Scripture. He says, but there's the door hinge, there's the coin flipping, here's the other side of it, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So if you don't want to forget the teachings of God, well, here's how you do it. You, you You keep God's commandments, listen, with your heart. Now, you might be thinking again, come on, Tim, just get to verse 5. I mean, they're among the most familiar and best loved verses in the entire book of Proverbs. Many people have these as their life verses. I know people in our church that this is their life verse. Well, life verses 5 and 6. But the tendency for most of us is to overlook verses 1 through 4, focus on 5 and 6. But listen, you've got to hear this. you ready? You can't experience the joy of verses 5 and 6 without learning the lessons of 1 and 4. You can't do it. Listen, if you want to be able to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him and He's going to make your path straight, you can't get that unless you learn verses 1 through 4. So let's look a little more closely at what Solomon says. Let your heart keep, keep my commandments. Keep is a strong word, friends. It's a word that means to guard something and always maintain your vigilance. Don't slack in your guard. Do not forget my teaching, keep my commandments, protect them, hold on to them. It's the same thing where it's the negative and the positive. Don't forget, but keep. One side of the coin tails, don't forget. You flip it, you gotta keep. But notice what is to do the keeping. I want you to see this. This is where verse 1 hinges. Let your heart keep them. You ever thought of that before? How do you keep something with your heart? I mean, we're used to keeping things with our minds, but how do you keep things with your heart? So how can you do Proverbs 4.23? Can you flip your page for a moment? Look at verse 23. It's one of my favorite verses. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart. Why? Because it is that important. All of life comes from it. So how do you keep God's commandments with your heart? You commonly... Well, if you're a Winnie the Pooh fan... (laughs) Do you remember when he says, Winnie the Pooh says, Think, think, think. Remember that? So we're used to pointing to our heads when we're thinking hard on something. You might even say something like, This is so deep, it's giving me a headache. Right? You can feel it in your head. And then if you're feeling something deeply emotional, you don't point to your head. Unless you're Spock. You point to your chest. Because you feel it deep down in your chest. But the scriptures teaches that the source of our thinking and our understanding, listen, is the heart. Now I'm going to give you a better view of the heart. Because the heart is everything. Above all else, guard your heart. Keep my commandments with your heart. What does that mean? Well, we're going to extract that. But the Scriptures teach us that the source of our thinking is the heart. Here's what Luke 2.19, the mother of Jesus. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, pondering them in her heart. You ponder in your heart. You think. You deliberate in your heart. You calculate from the heart. You set your heart on things. Set them on things above, and not on things below. Jesus, uh, that Paul said, in, in the uh, the epistles the mind is located in what the bible generally refers to as the heart. so when you read the word heart in the bible which you read it constantly, first thing you got to know is that you're taught that the writer is talking about the mind. he's talking about your capacity to think and to decide and to ponder and meditate and and make decisions. But then the will is involved in the heart. So you want to know what the heart is? Well, what, what, did, what did a Jew view the heart as being? First your mind, but now the will. And the will is located in your heart. It's where we form thoughts, and we make decisions, and listen, and we act. So when you do something... That's coming from your will, and your will is located in your heart, and your will was put into motion from the thoughts that you were thinking. So it's really important to make sure that you're thinking right thoughts, because wrong thoughts will move your will just as easily as right thoughts. So Paul says, but each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Whatever you just put in the plate or didn't put in the plate, you made that decision from your heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver Peter asked Ananias in Acts why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart Ananias and Sapphira did what they did because they chose to do it from their heart and acted it out so the mind is in the heart and the will is in the heart if you want to grow in Christ Paul says you've got to become obedient from the heart do you see what I'm saying this is huge we're going to answer the question: how do you keep God's commands with your heart? Well, you've got to realize, first of all, your mind is the heart, and your will is the heart, but there's another part of the heart that you've got to know to complete the picture. It's not just your mind, which is the control center. It's not just or the command center. It's not just the will, which is the control center. It's your affections as well, your emotions. You have put more joy in my heart, the psalmist says, but you shall cry out for pain of heart. Isaiah said, Jesus said to his disciples, sorrow has filled your heart. Anxiety is rooted in your hearts. Despair is from your heart. Jesus taught that we hate from the heart. We love from the heart. We get angry at people from the heart. Listen, the mind, the will, and the affections are all located in this thing that the Bible refers to as the heart. It's the command center, the control center, and the communication center. It's where we think, mind, plan, will, and feel. It is the mind, the will, and the feelings. Listen, the heart is the root of the problems. No, no, Pastor Tim, it's my personality. That's what keeps short-circuiting relationships. I'm telling you right now, your personality was created by God, given to you as a way to image Him. It's not your personality. It's the heart that motivates the personality. Now, Pastor Tim, it was my upbringing why I can't hold the job. No, it was not your upbringing. It's your heart that makes it you, why you can't hold the job. Your upbringing put a pressure on that. It's making it difficult. But you think, you choose, and you feel from the heart. Above all else, guard the heart, for from it flow the issues of life. You see, the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, into his death and his resurrection and trusted that God would forgive your sins. Listen, here's what God did. The very second, nanosecond that you did that, he took the heart of stone out of your out of your spiritual chest and he put a heart of flesh in there. And he begins renewing your mind because a renewed mind has new desires and new desires will choose new paths to walk and new paths up to walk will experience joy and peace and confidence in God. See, he gives the Christian the mind of Christ and he renews it. And he gets the lies out one at a time while you live life. No, the devil will not give you that lie and you will live it. He will give you truth and you will live it. And your life will be transformed. So my son, let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 1. It's possible only for the Christian. The non-Christian cannot do this. And it means that we fill our minds with God's truth, we let it change our desires, and we let it fill us with the joy of our salvation. Listen, what's it mean to let your heart keep my commandments? It means you learn God's word with your mind, you live God's word with your will, you love God's word with your affections, and notice what it's going to give you. Listen, if you want a promise of blessing, look what it says, for length of days and years of life in peace. will add to you well Pastor Tim I know godly people that have died young so how can that be true well that means you haven't yet understood your approach to Proverbs because Proverbs is not a book of promises it's a book of principles it's a book of wisdom sometimes we raise our children with Christian parenting and they depart from the paths of faith faith See, Proverbs are not inflexible laws that tell you, you do this, you get that. You know, like keeping God's heart equals a long life into the 90s? That's not how that reads. These are principles, and what they mean is, this is what will normally happen. Let me give you an example. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's a proverb we're all familiar with. But y'all know and I know that eating healthy doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be disease free. It's what normally happens when you eat healthy. Proverbs are what are statements that are safe guides to what will usually happen in life. Snapshots of life showing the normal outcomes of a life lived skillfully and not foolishly. So the world has discovered this, by the way. The world knows that the more stress that we experience, the more it's probably likely going to shorten your lifespan. Well, you don't need science to know that. You get to verse 2. It says the same thing. When you live skillfully before the Lord, not forgetting God's Word, keeping your heart around them, letting your heart keep them, letting your mind dwell on them, your will live them, and your affections experience a joy of them, it will reduce stress. It will bring peace. And a life of peace tends to normally live more healthy than a life at dis-ease, which is what disease is. Let's say that you have arrived once again at a crossroads in life and you're confused, alright? So you're at a crossroads, it's foggy. You don't know which way to go. What you need is peace. Now listen, you got to hear this. And peace does not require knowing which path to take. We want to know and we pray, Lord, tell me which path to take. I made enough errors in life. I know doom lies down that path. So which path? Just neon flash it to me. And I will take that path. Well, that's not the way that God works. He doesn't download a manual for life and you get it when you are born and you double-click it when you're saved and voila, there's your blueprint for life. It doesn't work like that. He streams constantly His will for us. And you're at the crossroads. It's foggy. You're crying out for knowledge. You're crying out, Lord, tell me which path to take. God's saying, listen, can you be like a weaned child with its mother? Like a weaned child will you be. Put your hope in the God of Israel forever. Let peace reign. That's the promise of wisdom. You'll get to the crossroad and you're not going to become frantic. And it requires faith that God is already in that crossroad. God already knows how to move your feet on the right path. He may not tell you today which path to take, but He knows how to lead you tomorrow. He will direct the steps of His child. Why? Because He's a good father. And he will reveal his will and not hide it. He's not capable of leading his child wrongly. So let me sum up verses 1 and 2 this way. A heart that keeps God's word is a heart filled with quiet trust that stays in perfect peace. Even when the path of life forks. But how do we get this peace in our hearts? Here's what Proverbs is going to teach us. Here's what Solomon's going to teach his son. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So point number one, keep the, keep, let your heart keep God's commandments. Point number two, write them on the tablet of your heart. You know, tablets were flat surfaces, and what I originally thought they were before I prepared for this sermon were kind of like desks, and then you put the parchment on it, and then I began to realize, well, wait a minute, they really didn't have much parchment, they had it, it was available, but it was very, very expensive, mainly produced out of Egypt at that time, so they didn't really have a lot of parchment, so what the tablet was, was a very, very smoothly polished surface made out of either metal or soft metal like bronze or even gold, or wood, and if it was made out of wood, they covered it with wax, and they smoothed the wax, and then guess what they did? They engraved and they wrote on the surface of the tablet. So tablets were the actual surfaces that received the writings, not the surfaces on which you wrote on some parchment. So the tablets were semi-permanent. Especially if you chiseled it into stone, which is by the way what God did with the Ten Commandments he could have put that on parchment. they just came out of egypt it 's where parchment was made. He put it on stone because the Ten Commandments never go away they 're still in effect today they 're the moral law of God we still we can 't steal that 's irrelevant i 'm just going to steal from ace hardware. Why did I pick ace hardware? I have no idea. <laughs> Not that I ever have, mind you. But they did have a really awesome snowblower four weeks ago, I thought. So tablets are the surface on which you do the writing. And we are to write on the tablets called our hearts. Now listen, this is Solomon teaching his son. If you want to know how to keep let your heart keep God's commandments and stay in a point of peace when life forks, then you've got to start writing on your hearts the truth. We are to write on our hearts. Now remember, the heart is the control, the command, and the communication center of your being. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Everything emanates and originates from the heart. And we write on them all the time. You want to know how you write on them? Some of us. I'm a failure. You just wrote on your heart. I'll never be happy with this person. You just wrote on your heart. God doesn't care about me. My life is my own to live however I want. I'll never make friends in this church. Everybody else succeeds, but not me. Listen, you're all writing on your heart when you say that. So we are all authors. You're all writers. You've all got a tablet called your heart, and you're all writing on it, just like I am. But we can write things like this. That person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. I have no respect for them and I never will and I'm going to have a bad day I just feel it listen you're writing on your heart because you're an author but that writing leads to stress. So Solomon says, look at verse 3, you got to write these things. Look what he says. Write steadfast love and faithfulness on your heart. That's what you are to write. If you want to get to the crossroads and it's foggy and ambiguous and vague and you don't know which way to go, then you've got to become a writer that has stored up the commands of God in your heart and you begin writing about God's steadfast love and faithfulness into the tablet of your heart. Writing things like you know what, God's never done me wrong, ever. I can trust Him. If not for God's grace, I'm capable of committing the worst sins there are, God, thank you for your mercy to me today. You're writing again. You're authoring again. Now you're authoring God's steadfast love and faithfulness. You know what, Lord, I don't know which way to go, but I know you do. Lord, I am... Nervous. I am anxious in life, but I know that I can cast them on you, for you care for me and you will sustain me. You're writing the word of God that you've been keeping in your heart on the tablet of your heart. And your mind is being renewed and you're being able to now discern and love the perfect will of God. And He begins to direct your path. See, the Christian that gets to the crossroad and gets paralyzed with indecision is the one who has not kept the Word of God in their heart, is not writing God's steadfast love and faithfulness on the tablet of their heart. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to use pros and cons lists. They're trying to use the best wisdom of the world. And they're afraid of walking the right path. They're indecisive and paralyzed. And wisdom wants to teach us how to live skillfully at the crossroads. And this is what Solomon's teaching his son. See, when you write God's steadfast love and faithfulness on your heart, listen, you're writing with the author of Jesus. Did you know God's writing on your heart all the time? Listen to this verse from Corinthians, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us not by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the Living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God is writing his authorship on your hearts all the time. And when you pick up that pen and you have stored his word in your heart and you begin to write of his steadfast love and faithfulness, you are writing with the very hand of God. He is renewing your mind so that you can now appreciate, see, understand, test, and love the will of God. And all of a sudden, peace invades your heart and the fog dispels. And he begins to direct your path. Friends, God has given us a new heart, a new tablet, not of stone, of flesh, and the Spirit of God is writing the truths of His unfailing love and mercy and faithfulness to you. And And you might stumble, now listen, you might stumble in a sin again and you start writing lies in your heart. God is tired of me. He's giving up on me. God hates me. I'll never be able to do this. And the Spirit of God is grabbing your hand and He begins to take up the Word of God's pen, the living and active Word of God. And He begins writing his truth back on your heart I am merciful to you and it's new every morning and I've got a plan for your life that I wrote before I created the planets and I got the power to walk you into it and all of a sudden peace comes back in And every day, God is blotting out and He's erasing the lies of the enemy that the enemy is writing, the world is teaching, your flesh is believing. He's blotting them out. He's rewriting His truths on that waxy surface of your your fleshly heart, your spiritual heart, and He's strengthening your faith. Because of Him, yesterday's lies turn into tomorrow's hope, and new thoughts produce new desires, creating new choices, yielding new affections. So friends, you've got to examine your hearts. You've got to discern who is actually doing the writing. And see if what's being written is what you're keeping in your heart of God's Word. See, the, the Christian who learns to write, now back in the text, the Christian who learns to write God's love and faithfulness on their hearts, look what it says. We'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's divine and social favor. God's favor and mankind's favor. Blessings from God, blessings from people, and all of a sudden, now listen, grab this, all of a sudden the redemptive genius of God snaps into focus because, listen, if you're going to image God, if you're going to be a missionary for Christ, if you're going to be an ambassador that looks like Jesus, then God's got to do something in our hearts to be able to give us a life worth living that says, this is what it means to love God, this is what it means for God to love us. And when that wisdom begins to bring you to the crossroads and you are confident and you know because your heart's filled with peace and that God will direct your paths and you're writing His steadfast faithfulness on your life, then the non-believers around you go, how do you do that? And you begin to say, you know what? I know my Heavenly Father. And He's never steered me wrong and He never will. And if I'm going down the wrong path, my God is sovereign. And he knows how to redirect my paths. So I'm filled with peace, not anxiety. Listen, an anxious Christian is a terrible testimony. Because what it betrays is you don't trust God. You cannot trust and be anxious at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. So if you're going to trust God, it will bring you peace. And if you will not trust God, you will experience anxiety. There's one more part to this. Solomon's still teaching his son. He says, listen, you've got to guard my commandments with your heart. You've got to put them down deep. Get your mind around them. Get your will moving on them. Get your affections reinforcing them. And then you've got to start writing about God's faithfulness and steadfast love on your life. Write them all the time because you're writing something. And so write with God's hand, with the pen of God's word. But then he says this third lesson. you got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. See the passage is all about the heart. That's how I made the outline for today. And Solomon returns to it. And if you want to, if you expect to experience these truths, then your heart's got to be keeping God's word. Got to be writing truth on them. Experiencing the peace and the favor He has for you. An untroubled spirit of peace is what allows uh, our life's journeys. To get through these crossroads. So look what he says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's that word trust mean? There's lots of words in the Hebrew language for trust. This one has a really unique personal application. It's the one that's used... For a feeling of well-being, you got that? Security and well-being, listen, that comes from being confident in God. It literally means to lie face down on the ground in full surrender. That's what the word trust literally means. But what it means metaphorically is that you've experienced well-being and security that comes, that comes and arrives or originates from a yielded spirit who is confident in God. It's confidence that produces peace. It's not a double-minded, wishy-washy heart that's going to get into a crossroads in life and be unable to have peace and well-being. This is a heart that trusts. This is a heart that yields in total surrender to the Lord with all your heart. Look what he says. All of your heart. And then you're going to have peace. You're going to know that your Father in Heaven is utterly faithful, He's utterly good, and He's utterly powerful. See, the problem, friends, that we all share to varying degrees is that we tend to trust in things other than God. Look what he says. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's me. I mean, I can arrive at trust Face down and full surrender. I can get there, but it takes me usually a while. Because I'm usually trying to figure out the best way in my thinking to get through this crossroads. So Solomon teaches his son, listen, you're going to get in that crossroad and you're going to have a choice to make. You're either going to trust God in full yielded surrender and he's going to bring you a well-being and security from trusting in him or you're going to move to your own efforts and your own smarts and your own ability. Look at what he warns in verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you're smart enough to figure out life. Listen, you've got to not lean on your brains. This is why Martin Luther said the first thing that faith does is to knock the brains of reason out. Faith doesn't always make sense. What do you mean, God? You want me to give more to that missionary? We, we can barely make the bills. It doesn't make sense. You go to an accountant, they're going to tell you, wait, no, don't do that this month. you got to plan up for this. You've got to take a, a six-month plan to this. And then slowly, incrementally increase. No, God says, I want it now. It's my money. You're just stewarding it. And I'm telling you, redirect it here. Well, it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't. you got to knock the brains of reason out. And trust. Pseudo-faith, A.W. Tozer said, always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. You do this, friends, and I do it. We all do this. This is what forms Idols. An idol is a God substitute. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift shift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam stood on the, up on the face or up on the earth has God failed the single man or woman who trusted in him. See, faith in Christ is the willing surrender of my very life to the dominion and the care of Jesus Christ. But notice just how much of life needs to be lived face down in full surrender. Look at the text. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him means more than just admitting or accepting that God exists. That's that's how you can use the word acknowledge. That's not what this means. It means, it's it's a very intimate form of knowing, it's personal knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. When you learn, love, and live God's Word with your mind, your will, and your affections, verses 1-4, through then you experience His favor and blessings, verse 4, and it yields our very lives into His hands, verse 5, not relying on our ability to figure out our path, verse 5, but instead knowing God more and more deeply and personally, and you're going to result in verse 6 he will make your paths straight see ancient roads friends were like the road going up behind my house, I grew up my brothers now own it, 126 acres of woods and hills behind my house and there was a road that went up to the top of the hill to a field that the farmer hayed every year made made hay on it But that road is a gravel road, and every spring in Syracuse, New York, outside of Syracuse, those melting rains would create major, major ditches in that road. In fact, the last time I went up to my mom's, I think it was um, just a couple months ago, I went up on that hill, major ditches. So almost every two years, a bulldozer had to go back up and re-smooth the road. They're just like that in the ancient days. These ancient roads were not paved. They were not paved, so when a king would travel, when a king wanted to take a journey, he sent out a team of servants, usually a month ahead, and they would smooth the road. They would clear the road of fallen trees so that the king could travel unencumbered, that he can make the journey without delay. And this is what the promise is. God says, I will be that servant that goes ahead of you and I will make your path straight. I will clear the road of debris. I'm going to find a way to make your journey without delay. doesn't mean an easy life. doesn't mean a life that's problem-free. It means a life that will surely accomplish God's will. Now listen. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God will not enable you. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God will not enable you. If He is calling you to that path, He will make that path straight. So do not be wise, verse 7 and 8, in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. As we close, listen to this, ready? This is probably, unfortunately, while it's the most important part of the passage, I don't have the time. I brought it out two weeks ago. Fear the Lord, our faithful Yahweh, Lord Yahweh, covenantal God personally giving you His name. Fear the Lord, our faithful God. The result is the is awe and adoration. You know what you take when you take one part awe and mix it with one part adoration and you bring those two together, you create the fear of the Lord. And when you are in awe of God and you adore Him, you will lay your life down before Him. And when God has your life Pulsing with a heart that is keeping his commands. A heart that's writing on it with his faithful love and mercy. And a heart that lies face down in full surrender. Trusting in him with all of its heart, not leaning on his own brains. Acknowledging, experientially knowing him. Listen, he's going to get you to that crossroads. The fog will blow and he will direct your steps and he will go before you. And by his grace, make it smooth. My son says, Solomon, you're going to reach a lot of crossroads in your life. So let me tell you how you get through them. Keep God's word with all your heart, your mind, your will, your affections. Write his faithfulness and your mercy and his mercy on your heart every day. Trust in him. Surrender fully to him with all your heart. You're going to find peace at the crossroads of life. And God will enable you to discover and live out his will. Amen? What are you going to do with God's word this week? You can start catching the world's lies that you're writing in your heart. The lies of the enemy. Catch them. Let God smooth out that wax tablet of your heart and rewrite His truth. And watch your mind be renewed and your life explode with peace. And you know how to get through the crossroads. Let's pray.